Olive and Jack Orange lived on the first floor of the building in an apartment that, having somehow escaped a century's worth of questionable trends in rehab, retained the stately air of the day its wealthy builder carried his wife over the threshold in 1897. Located at the end of a shady boulevard on the west side of town, it was running rather than walking distance to the train, but from one end of the block to the other, it was safe enough, and the rent was cheap for the space. It had been her apartment first, and as such, it had enjoyed her fastidious attention to detail, suffering neither male sensibilities nor couples' compromise. The sprawling vintage apartment was cluttered, peculiar, and exactly as she wanted it. In return for Jack's complete forsaking of any current or future opinion on the matter, Olive selflessly handled every chore associated with their living space, from manic dusting to the frenetic returning of displaced items to their rightful, if not obvious, stations on this unnecessary end table or that. When they decided to move in together, Olive had pictured Chinese takeout containers and chopsticks, crosswords in bed, and Jack's complete acceptance of the concept of decorative pillows. Certainly he would have no belongings of his own, but would arrive on the doorstep with nothing but an armful of freshly laundered white t-shirts and blue jeans. The haphazardly packed boxes of video games, dusty action figures, and battered vegan cookbooks were surprising and unwelcome baggage, and she had assimilated them by stashing them out of sight in closets and under the bed, leaving them there for an amount of time exactly equal to the time it took him to forget their existence, at which point she moved them to the dumpster. The random bits that escaped the genocide, she reluctantly admitted to a small assortment of unsanctioned items that now peppered the apartment and occasionally reminded her that she did not live there alone. Jack's 120-pound, one-eyed pit bull, Big B, was a more constant reminder. Being a dog is hard work. If it's not the eating kibble, it's the drinking water. And if it's not the sleeping on the couch for 12 hours, it's the defecating on the bathroom rug three times in a single week. There's a lot to think about in so many hours in a day. Being Bigby, a dog the size of a generous love seat, was particularly taxing, especially when his recent past, hungry and forgotten on the streets, meant he had a lot of catching up to do. Bigby snored, took immense craps and not always outside, and slept squarely and painfully on top of Olive's legs all night, every night. He stank even after a bath. He ate shoes, underwear, and entire pans of lasagna, and Olive adored him. Jack had rescued him and fattened him up, but one look into his lone, big, round eye proved he was, without a doubt, a mama's boy. The Oranges had started out like every other couple, with sweet nothings, butterflies, and meticulous hygiene, but now it was all nagging, grandma underwear, and unchecked breath. Their relationship was currently based largely upon chores and formalities, and Olive and Jack often went days without a single bit of actual content entering one of their conversations. Jack seemed not to notice. Olive found herself increasingly infuriated by Jack's refusal to relate every detail of his day and his blatant disregard for the proper placement of the apartment's seven ashtrays. The sight of one of his dirty teacups left thoughtlessly at the foot of a sitting room chair and his standard replies of uh-huh and whatever propelled increasingly farther away her dulcet memories of their courtroom wedding. So how was your day, she asked him, as she did each evening, her hair a dark mess of braids and curls twisted atop her head. Her skin flushed from the heat of the gas burners, and she used a wooden spoon to stir bits of crushed garlic into hot oil in a saucepan. Bigby lay heavy and asleep at her feet. Their kitchen was an ineffective Eden with imposing crown molding and uneven wood floors that left splinters in her bare feet. She had quit her waitress job, supposedly to sell handmade greeting cards, but has spent most of the months since napping with the dog and thrift shopping for and rearranging the apartment. 
Jack was in the sitting room trying to shake off a day of teaching eighth grade science. He considered himself a pedagogue, but a dislike of academics, including himself, kept him out of higher education. Ugh, he answered, lacking the drive to relate to her the day's events, which involved a junior mint superglued to his desk and the fact that 25, 13-year-olds giddily waited for him to grab for it. They had not been disappointed. Olive and Jack had met four years ago on the train. She watched him staring at her pallid reflection in the dark window for five straight stops, but was still surprised when the ashen blonde Jack walked over and handed her a business card. It said Bartholomew Grevy DDM, 2248 Northwestern Avenue, on the face. But when she flipped it over, scrawled in blue crayon were the words, I'm not Bart, this card was under the seat in front of me. She called the number that followed that very night. You like the new curtain, she asked, adding a can of crushed tomatoes to the pan. Olive had found the perfect peacock print curtains that afternoon in someone else's cart at the village thrift. But thanks to the poor reflexes of the elderly, she was able to secure them for herself. She poured a colander of badly overcooked corkscrew into the sauce, scratched the dog's immense head with her big toe, and waited for a response. She brought Jack his dinner and sat cross-legged on the floor in front of his chair. Jack nodded unenthusiastically and accepted the plate. Hun, you mind moving out of the way? He asked, straining with his free hand to reach a remote control that Olive had stowed attractively in a card box on the liquor side table. Jeopardy is about to come on, he said, his mouth full of pasta, an entire corkscrew hanging off his lower lip and a smear of sauce across his front teeth. A little overcooked, huh? He said, adding, this is organic though, right? Organic though, right? Olive had hated him for approximately three months. She could pinpoint her exact realization of the latent hostility to an afternoon sometime in late July when she prepared him a grilled vegetable sandwich and he picked everything but the tomatoes off it. The fact that he left the soggy vegetable-laden plate in the sink sealed the deal. Now, the bit of pasta she would have once kissed off his face rendered him revolting. What were once charming eccentricities were now glaring proof that he was, in fact, a grade-A jackass. His eating habits were annoying, and his bad breath permeated the entire apartment in the morning. She hated his fake chicken patties and his BBC News. His ass was getting fat like a woman's. Bigby, on the other hand, had grown on her over time, aging like a fine wine or a pungent cheese, until her dedication to him approached the dangerous realm where unfulfilled women knit their pet sweaters and invite them to tea. The next evening, Olive sauteed onions in a saucepan and called to Jack from the kitchen. So how was your day? Her t-shirt and jeans were faded and loose on her small frame, and her bare toes needed the small bird of paradise rug she'd found draped over their second floor neighbor's back railing that morning. Jack was in the sitting room, recovering from a Saturday spent at a second job as a mascot for a little league baseball team. Big B was out like a light and snoring loudly on top of Jack's bare feet, wearing one of Jack's sweaters. Uh-huh, Jack answered while looking through the contents of a battered wooden chest for a video game controller. In fact, a group of eight-year-olds repeatedly kicked him in the balls the entire time he was on the field. And when he yelled, Don't you shit-faced little motherfuckers have anything better to do? Through his huge, plush costume head, he was sent home but he did not feel like discussing it. Olive stirred the saute aggressively and used her free hand to open a cabinet above the stove. Putting her spoon to the side, she pulled the pop top off a can of generic, completely non-organic beef stock and added it to Jack's couscous. She smiled to herself when he noted it was too salty and pretended to be asleep later that evening when he desperately screamed to her from the bathroom that he had run out of toilet paper. Bigby had been thoroughly appreciative of the leftover saute. Conspiring against one's spouse takes thought. Olive decided the silent treatment might actually please him. Withholding sex would hardly be noticed, and killing him outright would most likely really mess up the house and traumatize the dog. 
A systematic program of passive-aggressive and petty misdeeds seemed like her best bet. She added liquid animal product to every possible foodstuff in the house and was in the process of putting dead batteries into all of his beloved electronics. She gingerly placed dried burrs from the yard into the worn toes of his socks and cleaned the utility sink with his toothbrush. The trouble was that aside from the sudden onset of chronic diarrhea from the introduction of beef stock to his formerly organic vegetarian diet, he did not seem to notice his impending demise. The next evening, Olive dined alone with Bigby on the floor in front of the television, while Jack attended faculty detention for calling little Sammy Hertzberger an ungrateful monkey turd. It was a crisp October night, and thick brocade curtained the windows of the sitting room. Olive looked around and admired her apartment. She had furnished it thriftily, but it was indeed, she thought, aside from the healthy amount of dog shit deposited in the foyer a moment before dinner, magnificent. Alone with her dog, sharing the seasoned hamburger she had planned on adding to Jack's ground soy, she felt quite happy. It was during a rerun of her favorite episode of The Honeymooners, however, that she noticed one of her lampshades was missing its burgundy silk fringe. Oh, Big B, she thought at first, chuckling to herself at her adorable naughty dog and grabbing him for a scratch and a bear hug. Over his mammoth head, however, she was horrified to see the missing fringe about five feet across the room, threaded halfway through an old calabash pipe that Jack had been threatening to start smoking in public. He had used it in lieu of a proper pipe cleaner, which she had incidentally purchased for him and placed quite conveniently on the shelf by his chair, and the sticky black tar that fused the delicate threads indicated it had been an effective substitute. Turning her furious attention back to the lamp, she furthermore noticed that the trimming had been removed callously. The fabric of the shade was ripped, leaving the edge in shambles. Jack, what the hell was wrong with him? She gripped Bigby's head a little too hard and he excused himself to the parlor. How could she be expected to fucking live like this? It was worse than the time she had modeled sexy underwear for him and he tried to pop the zit on her ass. It was worse than the container of a single bite of hummus put back in the fridge. It was worse than his refusal to tell her what had gone on in his day. The torn strip of silk tassel stared sadly up at her. Look at what he's done to me. It is painfully obvious that he doesn't appreciate you at all. The fringe had an English accent and it was right. You should take a screwdriver and stab him in his big fat face. The decorative strip concluded. Olive rummaged through Jack's toolbox for the biggest flathead she could find and stationed herself on the battered settee in their front parlor. She sat Indian-style, with the screwdriver held tightly in both fists on her lap. Bigby beside her, panting dumbly and occasionally licking the screwdriver with his thick pink tongue. Olive sat that way for two hours, her resolve and the vein on her forehead increasing in size and intensity each minute. At quarter past seven, she heard Jack's key in the door and sat up straight with her right hand high in the air, holding the screwdriver like a torch and ready to strike. Olive, Jack said as he opened the door, surprised to see her in the front room waiting for him, but oblivious, as was his nature, that she wielded a weapon. Wait until you hear what I just had to sit through. He was laughing as he pulled a takeout bag from behind his back and held it up for her to see. Dinner, he said. I got Mishu, been craving meat the past few weeks. Olive hid the screwdriver behind her back where Bigby seized it and trotted away. She took a good look at Jack's sweet chubby face and decided she'd let him live, at least until after dinner. 